Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Well, I think there's no doubt that most people realize that nonprofits and the landscape we're facing is changing. And Katie Leonberger, the guest today on our show, will talk about that changing landscape for nonprofits. She's the president and CEO of CRE, Community Resource Exchange in New York. Katie shares with us not only some great leadership insights for what her organization provides other nonprofits, but she shares something we've not had on our show before. Katie will talk about a risk resiliency plan and how to come up with this plan for all nonprofits, regardless if you're facing a major funding challenge or restructuring of your organization. I think you're going to really want to hear what Katie has to share. Enjoy today's show. Well, Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's fun to have you call from New York. Um, talk a little bit about yourself and tell us about the CRE, the Community Resource Exchange. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I get the honor of heading up Community Resource Exchange, or CRE as we say for short. We've been around since 1979, based here in New York City. And our whole mission is about helping other nonprofits be more effective and impactful in achieving their missions and driving social change. So we work with about 300 organizations a year, primarily nonprofits, but also some government agencies and small foundations. And we work with them on any number of organizational development Function. So I think about strategic planning, financial management, talent management, board development, as well as doing a lot of leadership and management trainings, which we largely call leadership and professional development, um, to help all of these groups and their employees be better um, and more impactful at what they're doing. Excellent. Good, good. Well, and how does it, um, your mission statement says, we partner with organizations to drive real change in communities. Together, we work to reduce poverty, promote equity, and increase opportunity. So talk to me, how do you measure the change you are seeking? I know a lot of nonprofits are always looking for metrics of how effective they are, you know, or non-effective, it depends. Um, how do you measure your effectiveness as you partner with other nonprofits? That is a great question. We talk about this a lot internally at CRE uh, because we consider ourselves an intermediary or almost indirect service organization, which means that unlike a lot of nonprofits, we aren't delivering direct services or programs to individuals and communities on the ground. What we're doing is working with, as I mentioned earlier, nonprofits who are our end clients. Um, so, you know, the question becomes, how do we figure out if we developed a strategic plan in partnership with another organization, how impactful was that, and what did that actually change in terms of life on the ground for people living in communities? Um, so we go about this two ways. First, we'll try to understand, did we do a good job doing strategic planning with, let's say, name your nonprofit? Um, and so we'll try to figure out 
what that experience was like for the nonprofit that we worked with. We'll figure out if the strategic plan actually produced anything for the organization. We'll figure out if um, it helps clarify the direction and what success looks like for that organization, et cetera, which would be the short-term goals of doing any strategic plan with a nonprofit. But then secondly, we want to figure out the so what. Um, what does it mean if we did a strategic plan? Did, did life actually get better for the communities that it serves, which ultimately is what we care about? And to your point, really what our end goal is for our mission around reducing poverty and advancing opportunity. Um, so figuring that part out can get a bit harder because it's indirect, right? So we do a fantastic strategic plan with a group. Depending on how they go implement it, you either will, you know, return so much more impact to the world, or it might just keep things going at the status quo. And if we're not staying around for implementation, which is totally up to each group that we serve with, the impact on the ground of the plan that we do will differ, also depending upon what's going on in the external environment. So as you can tell, right, depending on the particular assignment we have with a, a nonprofit, the questions that we ask and the way we gauge success will be slightly different, but they're all getting at this big meta theme of, hey, are you operating better? Are you more effective? And are you more sustainable as a result of your work with CRE? And it's interesting, as I hear you explain that, um, we've had some community foundation leaders you know, on the podcast before. How does your organization relate to, or is it the same kind of um, setup as a typical community foundation? Or how are you different? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think the headline I'd say, the big difference is that we are not a grant-making organization. Um, so while a community foundation and, and CRE shares a lot in common in terms of partnering with organizations on the ground, um, really going deep into um, place-based initi place initiatives in order to drive change on the ground for a community. Um, we do that through what I just described as capacity building, right? Going in and figuring out what are the challenges that individual organizations are facing and how do we help them come up with a plan and many times support them through implementation to tackle that in a way that leaves them stronger once they're done working with us. Um, and uh, community foundations, as we see, do a lot of that problem solving too, but they're also using philanthropy as a means to um, give funds to the, the nonprofits in those communities so that they are stronger and able to actually go out and do their work um, and where they're kind of alongside, walking along with them, helping strengthen the work that they're doing. So, Katie, could you give us an example of a nonprofit with whom you've really helped through your tools, your training, and your expertise at CRE? As I've mentioned, one of the main services that a lot of groups come to us for help with is strategic planning. And many times it's in dire sense of dire need and stress. So one example that comes to mind is work we did with a literacy organization um, in back in the, well, probably about three or four years ago now. And it, this is an organization that was literally in, in the process of potentially closing. As we were meeting with them, their team was moving out all of their furniture from the building, and they, we were sitting around a cord, cardboard box on the floor talking about how do you plan your way forward given that you don't have much cash right now and trying to figure out how you should close. So we focus on what are your core programs that you need to keep offering to ensure that young readers in their schools and families are getting the support that they have come to rely upon you for, and what can your board do to help you during this time of stress? Um, so at that time when we were sitting around the floor talking about this, they had a budget of under a million dollars. And then fast forward to us helping them develop a plan that really focused on like the core components of what they wanted to focus on for services until they had additional funds to worry about doing additional programs. Um, 
And their budget grew from about 800000 to $2.2 million within two and a half years. So that's 170% increase in that short period. And then they saw a four, more than 400% increase in the number of kids they were able to serve, and then a 600% increase in the number of parents they could serve. So by us sitting with them in a moment where they otherwise might have closed their doors and helping them think through different routes to continue offering their programming, they were able to come out of that, and obviously they had a fantastic team and board that helped them do this, to a point where they're now thriving and continuing to grow across New York City. Obviously, you end up working with a lot of nonprofits, and you're really trying to address pretty major social issues that we all deal with. Um, as you come across nonprofits, and you've been successful, sounds like, working with ones right there in New York, what, in your opinion, is the most important role a nonprofit serves in our community? Oh, my gosh. They play so many roles in our community. We need, like, three hours. Um, but I think one of the big roles that we see and we really believe in at CRE is, is that the role of problem solver and innovator, um, particularly for nonprofits who are embedded within their communities. And for us, community can, of course, mean a place, right, a particular part of New York City, um, but it can also mean a community of, um, like, of affinity, right? So we work with a lot of LGBTQ groups, right? And they don't necessarily have to be focused on a particular geography, but they're focused on a particular topic. Um, we work with a lot of healthcare organizations. We work with a lot of racial equity organizations. And again, these are topics that both have a place in terms of geography, but they also, um, for better or for worse, right, are things that actually touch us wherever we are in this country. So I say that because we really believe that those closest to a challenge or a problem are also those who are best equipped to come up with a solution. Um, and so we believe that empowering nonprofits really just to raise their voices and to give them the space that they need to be able to tackle some of the challenges that they see in their communities um, and to, frankly, just power the natural problem-solving innovation that nonprofits come to the table with, given that they're often asked to do more with less, um, is one of the biggest roles that CRE can play, but also they're really about just catalyzing the natural um, role that a nonprofit serves in its communities. And then the other thing I said that relates to that is, is that of advocate, right? I mean, I think many times we think about advocacy as you only advocate for specific policies, let's say from government, but advocating for causes and raising up voices that are maybe sometimes unheard or not um, listen to as much as they might be or as others are is a huge role for nonprofits. Um, and that goes back to, again, being part of a community, knowing, you know, what truth looks like on the ground for a particular community and raising that up as part of this problem solving. No, I like that. I like your description of that. And I, I agree that nonprofits play such critical roles in each one of our communities. And as you've come across nonprofits, I'm sure there's some that really rise above some others. Um, what, in your opinion, are some of those key healthy traits of a nonprofit that you know when you run across them, you're like, okay, this nonprofit is moving in the right direction because of X, Y, and Z. What are those traits that you see that make a nonprofit healthier maybe than others? Yeah, so there's many different ways of looking at this. Um, let me start with what we consider kind of the four building blocks or foundations of success for any social sector organization, um, and that is a strong leadership, effective staff, financial stability, and sustainability, and then impactful programs. 
Um, those are the four core elements that we've seen across the thousands of organizations we've worked with for almost 40 years um, that all need to be there in some shape or form for organization not only to survive but to thrive and to continue, continually move forward and deliver increasing levels of, of impact. Um, we've also spent a lot of time looking at you know, what makes a healthy organization and particularly in this day and age when we operate in a sector that is inherent inherently risky. Um, how do you assess what organizations are, again, going to continue to thrive even in the face of challenges and risks? And we've, we've talked about a term that we use at CRE called risk resilience. And it's looking at organizations that so not only are doing those four core basic elements um, that I mentioned, but are also thinking through and looking ahead around how do they engage with risk, take risk on knowingly, um, and also mitigate risk when it is staring them in the face, or maybe when it's not, but they've, they've done the thinking to figure out what is it that they might be faced with if they take on a new program or if government funding gets cut, et cetera. So that risk resilience is a really key part um, of what we add on to those four foundations for success. And, and really, there's various components of risk resilience. You can look at it in a technical term of saying, look, there are six operational categories that we've identified, for example, in our risk assessment tool, um, things like leadership and governance and personnel and finance, legal, et cetera. Um, but you can also look at it in terms of, well, how do you define resilience and what is a risk-resilient organization? And for us, it's an organization that um, has their eyes wide open and if, accepts reality for what it is, right? So while we all want to have rose-colored glasses, and I think we all have those to a certain extent, as we believe in driving social change and keep on keep on keeping on even in the face of adversity, um, we also need to be able to accept, like, look, if, if the federal government is literally going to pull all of the funds that are funding our organization through local agency government contracts, Let's accept that, and while we're going to fight like hell to make sure, try to make it not happen, we're also going to be preparing behind the scenes in the case that it does so that we are thinking about diversifying our funding sources, understanding our core programs, and are being planful um, in advance of a particular drastic change like that. Well, it's really interesting that you focused on risk resiliency. I, I don't think I've heard many people really focus on that. It's an interesting angle, and I think it's critical, and particularly when it comes to yeah, funding, when you lose your funding potentially or you are faced with some major uh, structural changes within your nonprofit. So, so far in your research, what are some of the key things you found, and what has surprised you the most from this research? We developed a tool for risk assessment that's called the CRE Fitness Test, or CREFT for short. Um, and CREFT is really designed to assess risk holistically for an organization across the six categories that I mentioned before. So just to, to rename those in case it's helpful, um, it is leadership, governance and strategy, personnel and administration, finance, compliance and legal, and programs and services, and then external environment, right? So six components when you think about all the ways an organization touches the world and it does its work, um, that really captures everything that it does, and it also captures the areas where risk tends to, to lie. Um, so we looked into what should be questions we should ask across those six categories around um, when an organization assesses risks, and we did this through talking to dozens of nonprofit leaders of all shapes and sizes in terms of the focus area of the nonprofit and the size of the nonprofit and the age, um, and then we also spent a lot of time talking to participants in our leadership and development sorry, leadership and professional development cohorts um, to understand what they see as key risks that they face. So we went out and did research that way. So I'll talk about those results in one minute. And then we also did um, a bunch of research through surveys while we were um, 
frankly, helping ourselves and the sector, I think, process and respond to the new administration once elected in November. Um, and we wanted to understand what were risks that, that leaders thought that they were facing, both when Trump was first elected, based on what he had said on the campaign trail, and then since inauguration, as he's actually started signing executive orders, and, you know, we now have a draft budget, et cetera, that, that are being processed. Um, so we get two uh, different views of what risks could be for the sector based on that. Um, and so let me talk for a minute about what we've learned through our craft research today. And again, this is based on after we've developed a 150-question-ish um, survey that nonprofits can take to assess where they might be vulnerable to risk across the six areas I mentioned. Um, and one of the things that we learned is if you look across organizations, um, and we've had about a dozen organizations take craft formally today, although we've had a lot take it informally and give us feedback. Um, one is that regardless of functional area, so finance versus legal versus programs and services, um, nonprofits tend to be up to date and performing pretty well on required or basic practices that involve things like staying compliant with legal and regulatory requirements or meeting the basic terms of funder grants, writing reports, et cetera. Um, so, you know, are they reporting on their fundraising activities on time? Do they have a process for making sure that clients are actually eligible for the programs that they offer, et cetera? Um, but then what they're not necessarily doing or are less consistent about doing is implementing what we call best practices or procedures for things that are maybe potentially more optional. So, for example, does your board do an annual training on making sure that it's compliant with all the rules and regulations of the contracts that it takes? or even with the New York Nonprofit Revitalization Act that's continually being updated and changed? Um, do you have an annual evaluation to improve your programs so that you're not just meeting the bare minimum requirements that funders put forth, but that you're actually you know, operating as a learning organization and feeding evaluation information back into your year-to-year uh, -year improvements and operations? Katie, I'm really impressed with your research and what you've found so far. And honestly, I think most nonprofits do not have a resiliency plan. So a nice work in putting focus on this critical area for nonprofits. Now, I know you kind of touched base on it a little bit, but go a little bit deeper. In your opinion, what are the long-term implications for nonprofits if they don't come up with a resiliency plan? Yeah, so I think, um, again, to your point, I was kind of alluding to this a little bit before, but the biggest thing that we would suggest for an organization, like if you can come up with a resiliency plan, that's fantastic and that's tremendous. I, I think for some organizations, particularly maybe smaller groups um, that, or frankly larger groups that, that are cash-strapped and don't necessarily think they have the time or the headspace to do a full quote-unquote plan, the most important thing to do is to be proactive and holistic in forward thinking about any new grant you take on or contract you take on or new program or service you deliver, um, thinking really holistically about what different parts of the organization might be affected so, so something with this not work out. And it's not to say to then run from those risks and not engage with them or, or take on those risks, but more to do it really thoughtfully and, and to have a way to, to the best of your ability, mitigate whatever might come your way that could be negative uh, on, in addition to all the positives that will probably come from doing that work. Um, but I think not doing that really undermines the sustainability of any individual organization um, and ultimately undermines the sustainability of our entire sector because every time we've got, you know, some of these major closures, it, it hurts the rest of the sector because uh, I think it, it makes other funders think twice potentially about giving funds. Um, and most importantly, from Sierra's perspective, it really impacts the well-being of the people and communities that, that we're being serving, that we're serving. 
And I think what you know what you see sometimes is if a really large nonprofit closes, you've got the other nonprofits scrambling to try to make up the difference, right, to serve those communities that are now out of services um, because their provider is gone. And that just strains the next organization to take on additional contracts. So how is it that we can think, uh, frankly, as an aside, like how can we be thinking about working together so that as a sector we are all stronger and best able to serve all of the communities um, that are using our services? Excellent. No, that's very, very helpful. And so here's my thought. We were running out of time, and it's been so fascinating, and I know people want to know more information. So how can they hear more about what you've come up with and maybe contact you directly? Where would you send them? A Twitter feed, an email? Uh, how best can they get in contact with you? All of the above. Um, I would say the first place to start, just to see if we've got something that could be useful, is to go to our website, which is crenyc.org. Um, and then you can always reach us via our Twitter feed at crenyc or me at my Twitter feed at Katie Leonberger. That's a longer one, um, but it'll be good for me. I'm working on my, my tweeting skills. And then you can also always email. All of our team's um, email addresses are listed on the website as part of our bios. Um, and we encourage anyone to reach out to any of us um, who might be able to be helpful. Well, very helpful. Again, my guest has been Katie Leonberger, the president and CEO of the CRE, or the Community Resource Exchange out of New York, and very interesting focus on having a resiliency plan. Uh, I think it's something a lot of nonprofits do not have uh, until it's too late sometimes, uh, or it's a panic stage. So thank you, Katie, for kind of blazing the trail and really looking into this and helping nonprofits work through these difficult challenges. And I think we are in interesting times now uh, with a lot of things changing. So thank you again for your time. Really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. I was honored to be here. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better. 